Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the SAP. As always, it is your boy Dave Neal, a stand-up comedian and um, YouTube extraordinaire. We've been killing it over there lately. Uh, for those of you that listen on the audio-only version, this episode is being videotaped, as the uh, uh, parents like to say. This is on YouTube. You can go check it out over there. And um, if you are on YouTube, you can go into the description and click where in this episode you would like to begin if you're here for one topic or another. You know, when it comes to making titles on YouTube, you have to be very specific with the title you make, even if it's a very non-specific video. So if you came for a certain topic, go into the description and check that out. And for my audio only people, how are you guys doing? Is everyone doing all right today? Good to hear from you. It's January 18th, 2021. The episode always comes out on Sunday which would have been last night. And I wanted to tell you guys, uh, it is important to remember that we are only as strong as our bodies. And I was so sick yesterday. I mean, so sick. I lost 10 pounds in fluid yesterday. I uh, just bought a scale because uh, I've been slipping, as it were. Um, you know, my whole pandemic has been me just cooking out. You know, the first purchase I made during the pandemic was a walk. I bought a big walk. And I don't. it's not even always for Asian food. It's just easier to put more food in it. So I'm just cooking in this giant walk. And then after about nine, 10 months of the uh, pandemic, I realized, hey, maybe... Uh, I don't know. Maybe you need to get a scale and see if you're in shape because, you know, it creeps up on you. You know, you start to see like fat on the back of your obliques and you're like, I didn't even know I could put fat back there. So anyhow, just got a scale. I was at 183 and I was like, all right, maybe in the next uh, two or three months, I can get this down to 170. You know, that's my, my fighting weight, 170. And sure enough, yesterday after getting sick, um, having the scale for less than a couple of days, I lost over 10 pounds, maybe 12 pounds. And, um, it was a violent, I hope I, I, I feel better. I feel weak, but I couldn't record yesterday. I couldn't speak. I was so sick. I couldn't speak. I was just holding on for dear life. And I don't want to get too, uh, too in the woods here with what, what my illness was, but it was whatever, you know, it, the, my body was wiped, just complete hard drive, turn it off, blow on it, wait 10 seconds, restart computer. It was, first of all, I feel great in the sense that it's a good sort of cleanse for the new year, a cleanse I didn't ask for. But uh, the culprit could have been some Mongolian beef I got a few days earlier that I uh, thought I microwaved enough. But uh, as we know, you got to keep it below 40 degrees or above 140. That's the uh, you know the safe zone for not getting a bacterial infection or whatever it was. Not a doctor. Don't have great health care. I will be getting a, a, ch- a COVID test. I've had maybe a dozen COVID tests. And that was sort of the fear is maybe this is COVID related, but it appears it appears to be leading towards a very short and violent um, qua- qual. Is that a word? Qual? Like a monsoon just kind of came and went. I was going to say quail, but I think that's a bird. Anyway, it. Um, a lot of people have asked how I've been doing because I posted on Instagram that it was the fir- my first time crapping my pants ever, which I was very proud of. My buddy Harley was like, you mean the first time this year? And I was like, no, I mean, short of being a child, a kid, a baby, I never, I've just been lucky enough, you know, I haven't had this problem. I don't do coke. I don't know. I don't, I, whatever, you know, I've, I'm, I'm good. Uh, but then, uh, but then by the end of yesterday, that was, you know, I've made up for lost time. Let's put it that way. I made up for lost time. Um, I thought I was going to die. I did. 
<laughs> I kind of thought I was going to die. I was like, at what point do I take this to the hospital? At what point do I, and then you get a little bit better and you go, oh, maybe I'm okay. And then you get, it was just like, uh, you know, my contractions were like every 30 minutes I was losing it. Um, but uh, here I am the next day. So that's why the episode got postponed. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't speak. I couldn't say any words out loud for a good 12 hours there, which uh, was great for Tasha. She loved it. She was very happy that I couldn't talk, but um, I wanted to jump into a few things today. This is what I was going to, you know, this is what I wanted to talk about on the podcast today. It's a solo episode, which means I'm going to kind of bounce around, you know, pop an Adderall, stick with me. Maybe Vicky's got some supplies over there on Bachelor. She said she was addicted to Adderall, so maybe she's got some uh, amphetamines for us all. Maybe not. Um, uh, but today I wanted to talk about the idea of people that have been on the show, The Bachelor, becoming influencers and why we shame them for that. Collectively as a nation, we, we seem to have a, a, a way of judging other people for the way they make their money. Later on in this episode, I'm going to show you an interview I just did with my friend Meredith, who has an OnlyFans account. OnlyFans is basically a straight-to-the-consumer sort of... I don't know if you call it pornographic. Sometimes it's different for everybody. It can be topless photos. It can be implied nudity, but it's a way for you to charge uh, people for uh, content that they could not see on a typical social media. So I talked to her about getting involved in all that and how kind of like what the economics are about making your money literally straight from the consumer. You know, sure, these apps, they take a few bucks. I, I'm on Patreon myself. Patreon.com slash this app. We have a new member. I think Marion is her name. Welcome to the Patreon. Uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash T-H-E-S-A-P. But I have a hard time with my own sort of preconceived thoughts on money where I have a hard time asking for money and and thinking that, well, if you're giving me money, you're you're not giving money to someone else. And that's why I have to I have to recommend this book. If anyone's got any hangups on money, I don't even have like a like a, um, I don't even have like a, a code for this because like a affiliate affiliate link, but the law of divine compensation on work, money, and miracles. This book by Marion Williamson, it might change your life because it really changes the way we think about money in terms of how it's connected to all of us and you know venturing out of your typical money making mindset. You know, it used to always be, you know, you'd work for the man, they would take care of you, you get your retirement, you go on, you go on. But with the different apps that exist, I've been talking a lot about late stage capitalism, we'll get into it, but just the idea that, you know, uh, most of us, most of us humans have been failed by a system where, you know, innovations has made it easier for corporations to need less workers and, you know, they make more money. So because of this pandemic, a lot of mom and pop shops, a lot of small business has been lost. A lot of people have resorted to OnlyFans. As I've mentioned, I've got buddies that sell their plasma and buddies that sell their sperm. And it's just, it's uh, it's any man's game out there. It's nice to have the opportunity to make, you know, your business uh, through these apps. It's nice for all that. But um, the reason they exist is because, there was a market for people that just were sick of being told they had to keep a job because they got good health care from that and, and so forth. Here's a couple quotes I'll read from Marianne Williamson's book, The Law of Divine Compensation. And I have to remind you, if, you, if you're involved in politics or if you heard Marianne on um, the uh, DNC uh, the presidential primary, she was uh, running for president. And she got, um, she got a lot of buzz online, some of it good, some of it bad. But um, you know, in a world with a bunch of you know, straight-laced, boring, centrist Democrats, 
you know, talking about like tax cuts for this, you know, this and that. She came on there and talked about this spiritual aching for us to sort of like come together as a nation. And some people were like, couldn't even fathom that type of talk. They were like, what is this quacko? But she was the most Googled person after the presidential debates. And if you kind of see any of her content online, it is simply amazing the way she talks. She's been around forever. She's a best-selling author of tons of books. And she has a real message about what we need to do to understand that the world can be limitless with what it provides us as long as what we're, you know, looking for is some like, you know, what, you know, what we seek and what we create is with a high frequency of love, which can sound cheesy for like a comic to say, because most comics are like, hey, man, I just want to make the audience laugh. It's like, yeah, no crap, dummy making the audience laugh, bringing people together, trying to get the room to feel better when you leave it than when you walked in. That's it, baby. That's love. So when people, you know, it blew my mind the first time I made money as a stand-up comedian. I think that my first thing I made was like 10 bucks or something, or even when I was just making a few, um, you know, beer ticket coupons. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I made people laugh. Somebody paid me 20 bucks for it. Then it became 500. My, my, Biggest check, maybe a thousand. And you know, you know, you still, you're, I'm paying flights to get to places. It doesn't break down to much money, folks. But um, the idea that your wealth isn't, you don't have to look at someone else's business model to know how it's supposed to be done. The world is our oyster, folks. So I'm going to get into the bachelor influencers that are really killing it and why I think they're doing a great job making money and why I think it's okay to go on the show, look for love, but also be okay if in the end, all you get is a verified Instagram and you're selling detox tea. I've been the first to make fun of this culture, but I also, I also need to, uh, you know, give it some credit because the world we live in, you know, we, the, the one thing we, we can do is build equity in ourselves. You know, the, you know, we're not going to fire ourselves, but most jobs aren't secure. So what are we doing to invest in ourselves and make ourselves irreplaceable? Quick quote from Marian Williamson. Um, let me uh, pull over the picture in picture here. Sorry about that. All right. Love makes us wake up in the morning with a sense of purpose and a flow of creative ideas. Love floods our nervous system with positive energy, making us far more attractive to prospective employers, clients, and creative partners. Love fills us with powerful charisma, enabling us to produce new ideas and new projects, even within circumstances that seem to be limited. Love leads us to atone for our errors and clean up the mess when we've made mistakes. Love leads us to act with impeccability, integrity, and excellence. Love leads us to serve, to forgive, and to hope. Those things are the opposite of a poverty consciousness. They're the stuff of spiritual wealth creation. So, and I understand, you know, you might it might be silly to think some of these influencers were, you know, aren't necessarily on spiritual wealth creation. But the term influencer, it's when you break it down, it's just people that might buy a product because you sort of, you know, say, hey, this this is working for me. It might work for you. It's it's taking out the commercial middleman and and moving on to, you know, um, to just straight to the consumer. So I talked about late stage capitalism and its characteristics and why the term is trending. I've heard this term a bunch, uh, but you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not a genius. I'm not, I barely studied politics in college. I don't know too much about it, but I do know that I've been suffering from sort of, you know, a system that doesn't work for what I'm trying to do. Late stage, late stage capitalism describes the unrealistic perspective of the wealthiest 1%. In the same vein, it highlights how the middle class is largely, ob largely oblivious to the struggles of the poor. 
It's the sense that monopolies and the oligarchs that run them have rigged the system in their favor. They hired well-paid lobbyists to influence politicians. They won Supreme Court cases such as Citizens United versus FEC 2010 that give corporations the same rights as people. This allows them to spend untold millions on political ads that benefit them. This is kind of like how you know we're told as far as med- Medicare for all that like, well, the Canadians hate Medicare for all because it's slow and it's doesn't, you know, you have to wait and, you know, all these things. And, and then, you know, come to find out that was just money spent by the healthcare lobbyists in our country to try to convince people that Medicare for all would be a bad thing when we're one of the only, if not the only country. And, you know, I mean, these countries are 40 years ahead of us when it comes to taking care of their people. Yet instead, one sort of way we make people a slave to their job is offering them healthcare discounts. Healthcare shouldn't be a perk. I look forward to the day where a company has to really work to get you to work for them. And it can't just be like, well, we'll provide you healthcare. Can you imagine that? Well, this job comes with healthcare. If you work for me, I'll give you the right to your own health. Mm, I don't really buy that one. Healthcare shouldn't be, you know, you know, feel free to write in or comment, but I don't think healthcare should be something that is a negotiating tool when it comes to your job. Uh, many who use the term late stage capitalism believe the next phase is socialism. Most agree the new system could include universal basic income. It would subsidize those who lost their jobs to, te- te- to technology. At the very least, the new system should involve universal health care. The uh, United States is the only developed country without it. So it's interesting, you know, because, you know, uh, as I'll mention in my uh, chat with Meredith when we talked about OnlyFans, is that companies like Amazon, Walmart, you take Walmart, for example, they're owned by the Waltons. They pay their employees, you know, primarily minimum wage. Um, they'll fire them before they have to give them benefits. They'll make them, they'll let them work a certain amount of hours where they can't collect overtime. And the government, you know, a lot of those people are on uh, unemployment or partial unemployment because they don't make enough with the job that they do. And it's like, what world do we live in where we let this be okay? And, you know, look, when you break it down, we're a podcast that talks about dating relationships and fun stories, but also part of having fun in relationships is having a couple extra bucks to take your date out. You know what I mean? Part of, you know, you get that big check, you want to burn a hole in your pocket, take your lady to the, you know, the, the fair, you know, but if for people that can't afford there, you know, something like there's a giant percentage, like something like 40 million people in our country, maybe it's, maybe it's more they can't afford a $400 emergency. They just don't have that money. And these are people that work full time. They're not lazy. They're probably hardworking than you and I. So late stage capitalism basically has abandoned, you know, these people where they were able to, you know, get people to work for as little as possible. And, you know, all the money goes straight to the top. So it's important for us if we want to live a world where we're working and getting the most for our, you know, for our time and this and that that we really consider sort of, um, is it fair that somebody who stands on a board somewhere because they had rich parents and went to a good school can make a hundred or a thousand times more than the cleaning lady? And I don't think wealth should be all distributed equally. There needs to be, you know, people that work hard kind of get something in return, but there needs to be some sort of uh, redistribution, which is a scary word for some people to hear, but there needs to be some sort of redistribution when it comes to how we share uh, wealth in our world because, you know, people like people that are like artists and creators, it used to be you'd live in the uh, East village and it'd cost you like 200 bucks a month in rent. So you could afford to not be making money while you create this beautiful mural or, or whatever it is. And we just live in a world where it's been harder and harder for people to take risks. Um, but then the pandemic comes along and when the pandemic comes along, 
we realize people don't have a choice but to like bet on themselves. How many people that said, oh, I'm taking a good job for the healthcare got left on the street and they had to try something new? Like I said, in a few minutes, I'll talk to Meredith who is making a killing with her OnlyFans account and she realized like, I don't need to be on some, you know, cover of this or being paid by somebody else. Everything I want to do, I can do from the home. Problem being is how do you, how do you go from a job that you might tolerate, but it's reliable. It's safe. You work for a corporation. They provide benefits. How do you go from that to sort of um, the entrepreneurial life of just like giving things a shot? I'm going to talk about Nick Vile, who, if you don't follow The Bachelor, was um, on several different seasons of Bachelorette and became The Bachelor himself, Bachelor in Paradise, and how he left a $100,000 sales job to just basically roll the dice on essentially becoming an influencer within The Bachelor franchise. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, As far as OnlyFans go, uh, here's an article I found from The Guardian that says everyone and their mom is on it. OnlyFans booms in popularity during the pandemic. The site is best known for charging fees for nude content, but making money off it is hard work. Yeah, there's actually comics that are on there that are are doing OnlyFans like that aren't for, you know, nude content. Um, When the pandemic hit, um, uh, every single regular job that I had, I was getting sexually harassed in some way, she says. This is um, Ja Bella is her name. She came. Uh, she had fled an abusive relationship, looking after her newborn daughter, and was struggling to find work in far north Queensland. Is, it, is that England or is that Australia? Um, every single job that I had, I was getting sexually harassed in uh, some ways. I would either get fired or I'd have to leave once I reported it. When the pandemic hit, all remaining gigs dried up. I was like, okay, why not make money out of this and have control over my body? So Bella did what thousands of other people around the world did in lockdown. She opened an account on the website OnlyFans. The site, which has boomed in popularity in the past year, is technically open to anyone from personal trainers to artists and cooks, but it's best known for one thing, nudes. Creators charge subscription fees for exclusive content, put up pay-per-view posts, and generate income from tips and live streams. A spokeswoman for OnlyFans told Guardian Australia, oh, so this is Australia, there are more than 1 million creators worldwide, 85 million registered users, and it paid out more than 2 billion US dollars this year. So how does that cushy secretarial job feel now when you can just get your own OnlyFans. Uh, There's a quote that I love. And again, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but I'm going to tie it all together here. There's a quote that I love. It's actually from a a Twitter. What's this called? A tweet storm where there's this guy at Naval. He he wrote a Twitter thread called how to get rich without getting lucky. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Seek wealth, not money or status. Wealth is having assets that earn while you sleep. Money is how we transfer time and wealth. Status is your place in the social hierarchy. Understand that ethical wealth creation is possible. If you secretly despise wealth, it will elude you. Ignore people playing status games. They gain status by attacking people playing wealth creation games. You're not going to get rich renting out your time. You must own equity, a piece of a business to gain your financial freedom. You will get rich by giving society what it wants, but does not yet know how to get at scale. This is very interesting. And my like the quote that's been driving me all year long, a couple years now, is you're not going to get rich renting out your time. So for everyone who loves their job working for a corporation or you know whatever it is, that's fine. But the day you're done working in most cases is the day you're done making wealth. If you're building your, your equity with anything from a Patreon to an OnlyFans account to a membership to, your, to a gym uh, where you're giving online courses, when you're opening yourself up to a bigger business model, you can do the same amount of work and make you know, an exponential amount of money. 
you know, I'm, I, I make these videos that I make online. They're starting to do okay. They've gained some new subscribers. They've made, they've made some, some decent money. Uh, if 400 times the percentage of people find this, that makes sense. 400 times. I'm a little slow folks. I was sick. If, um, if 400, if you get a 400% increase in the people that watch my videos, it doesn't take me any more time to make them. I've made videos, you know, where I release them on a Friday and come Monday, it was a full week's worth of pay. And then it continues to make money as I move on to the next thing. So that's the idea about not renting out your time. Um, a lot of people get involved in, we're going to transition this over to the bachelor. So a lot of people get involved in becoming an influencer when they've been on the bachelor series, the bachelor, the bachelorette, obviously it's an, uh, it's a dating show on ABC. Uh, the audience is super supportive. They're super dramatic. They love to comment and dig up dirt. They call it tea. A lot of them follow me for my whatever version of recaps you get from me, irreverent chatter, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a lot of, in the recent years, Bachelor contestants have turned to influencer to becoming influencers to make their money. And a lot of people shame that. They go, oh, this person's doing this for the wrong things or you know, this person, they weren't in it for whatever. And I think you go on The Bachelor, Bachelor, you go on to it because you might find someone you love and that's great. It's always good to find someone you love, but also you have the chance to open up yourself to a much larger brand, whether you're a model or a fitness person or podcaster, a lot get into podcasting. And there is a, there is a wealth that comes from being popular, popular to enough people. You can get paid advertising, this and that. So um, I'm going to try to scroll down here to Nick Vile because love him or hate him, Nick Vile, um, let's, see, let's see if I can find this in here. Nick Vile was a contestant who has done really well for himself. He just bought his home based off of his audience just supporting him. Wes Hayden, do you remember Wes? No one remembers this. He went on Jillian Harris's season of The Bachelorette in 2009 to promote his music career a revelation that sent shockwaves through what was once an airtight echo chamber of declarations of love and commitment whispered in pearl clad ears over untouched platters of chocolate covered strawberries. That's a long sentence. Hayden took great pride in his rebellion and also in the fact that he was apparently the first person in the show's history to have made it to the top four with a girlfriend back home. First of all, this, this is insane. I don't even remember this story, but this is insane that, you know, we know on Hannah Brown's recent season, uh, Jed, uh, became the guy that, proposed to her they got engaged and then it kind of came out that he had a girl from back home which he has always denied but uh, whether they were uh completely together or had been dating you know who knows um so instagram comes along in 2010 and eventually eventually with it the billion dollar influencer marketing industry which made it possible for say a software salesperson to go on the bachelor and leave with half a million followers a fab fit fun sponsorship deal, and at the very least, a podcast. Podcast With the advent of social media, a tool not available to Hayden in 2009, the scope of the show's influence and that of its contestants has grown exponentially. Brands are smart to want to cash in. So what you realize is that, you know, people will just do an unboxing and make, you know, anywhere from a thousand, ten thousand $10,000. I mean, they're making incredible amounts of money. And there was some, you know, a contestant on the show a couple of years ago who I always made fun of that she, you know, was, uh, you know, avoiding her two daughters and, you know, being too busy building her influencing uh, platform. But, you know, she's making a ton of money and that's one way to provide for your family. Uh, so I don't know. So let's see if I can find where Nick is on here. Uh, basically had a story about Nick on the bat. He, he, uh, he had a, um, sorry guys, here it is how bachelor star Nick file tries to be smart with money. So, 
you know, when Nick decided to make a Patreon, he got a lot of hate from people being like, no, pass. I don't want to see it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to open my wallet to you. And, and that's fine. It's fine for people to decide not to want to support something. But what he realized is that there's just money to be made from the promotion of being on the show. So whatever it is that makes somebody get a following, there's just always money to be made from that. And you can do it under your own terms. You can do it with supporting things that you believe in. Uh, Nick Vile, best known for his many turns on ABC's The Bachelor, reality franchise, two stints on Bachelorette, 2014-2015. Wow, he's been in this community for over half a decade. He's focused on a series of business and creative endeavors to build a brand beyond The Bachelor, working as an actor on TV and appearing in TV and internet-based commercials. His weekly relationship podcast, The Vile Files, been ranked iTunes Top 50 Podcast of the Week. Um, it's most popular episode downloaded 600,000 times. He grew up in Wisconsin as the second oldest in a family of 11 kids. And then um, uh, I'm trying to get to the goods here. So he came from a family that had some money, but wasn't, you know, just crushing it. And um, he, he, he was working for Salesforce, a sales company after his second season on the bachelorette. And that's when he decided to move to Los Angeles with his small amount of savings and just roll the dice and see if he could make any money. It's a big leap of faith to go from a six figure job and decide that you were going to want to work for yourself. Um, he said, when you've accumulated, accumulated some wealth, you have the freedom to take risks. I didn't have a ton of money, but I had enough money to say I could do this for a year. I have a year to make it work. Uh, no matter how much you make, you got to put some money aside or you're going to start investing for the future. That's something I've always done. Shaving, shavings make a pile. That's very interesting. He said he never gets comfortable. The downside of doing reality TV is you can lack credibility with a lot of people. They don't necessarily think you're deserving of anything other than a reality TV show. I had to work hard to gain credibility. Um, all right, so that's enough of that. That's This is from the article. Um, uh, this is from grow.acorns.com. I'll put a link in the description. Uh, but it's very interesting to hear um, from somebody who, you know, he might be one of the most successful Bachelor contestants of all time. And he doesn't offer anything that's, too crazy. He's not, he's not, you know, the, it's just the, 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 the biggest stud of all the contestants or the most charismatic, but you can tell from his own hard work and putting himself out there that he's following that, that uh, tweet storm that says, don't rent out your time. He's making content, uh, you know, where he's not earning a commission from a company. That's what sales sales is always the opportunity in business to make a ton of money because you're selling someone else's thing. And, and it's like, imagine how much money you can make selling somebody else's thing. And then how much you can make when you are the thing. And he's done a great job with that as a standup comedian. I've always been interested in the, uh, what I'm about to show you here. Uh, it's called the thousand true fans theory. And, um, I don't need to read all of this, but the idea is basically, I'm having a hard time pulling this up. I'll just tell you guys the idea between a thousand true fans is that if you have a thousand fans that decide to spend a hundred dollars on you a year, that, you know, that's a thousand, that's a hundred thousand dollar job. You can live very well with that. The idea that we used to have that you needed to sell out arenas or have this huge following to go tour. It's just an archaic thought. You know, we're in a world of like micro niches, so, you know, even with my content, I've only been having real success making bachelor related content because that's what is being searched out there. And then hopefully people find me and they go, oh, I like, or maybe I'll see your stand up. You know, there's other streams of income that I hope to 
uh, fill up from from a niche that's working. But you know, you but the the idea of a hundred a thousand true fans is. It's 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 nice to know that it's not some number where well if you get a hundred thousand Instagram followers that's you know you, you can make X Y and Z sure but if you can get a thousand people to buy some of your products every year you you got something going on and if you're an artist or you're selling uh, tickets to whatever it is it's not too crazy to think with Patreon you know if you know you know if someone spent uh, nine dollars a month on my Patreon that's uh you know a hundred eight bucks did I get that right wow. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's not an incredible number and I like to break it down. Um, and it's like simplest form because I think it's important for us to realize if, if we're pursuing a new venture, whatever it may be to know that there's so much money that's been kind of gone to, you know, people that, you know, when you work for a corporation, like take, take us, um, Spotify, right? It probably takes them 40 people to produce a podcast. There's a guy holding a clipboard. There's a dude over there. There's this and that. So if you have a million downloaders, you might not be doing too well, but if you have a million downloaders and you produce your own content, oh my gosh, you live in a mansion. You're worth more than the CEO of Spotify. You know what I mean? So the idea that, you know, so much has been skimmed off the artist, it's some, it's something that, you know, needs to, we need to do a better job of realizing what kind of creativity and wealth we can build on our own. So I just, you know, I recommend checking out Marianne Williamson and understanding the sort of spiritual and let's see if there's any other good quotes I can pull up from that. We lack faith in what exists within us because we lack faith in who exists within us. I mean, honestly, every other quote from her is just uh, blows my mind. Um, a miracle is a shift in perception from fear to love, from a belief in what is not real to faith in what in that which is. That shift in perception changes everything. Yeah, I won't read the whole book to you guys, but I, I think you get, you know, some episodes we have a stupid, you know, conversation with someone about, you know, their dating life, which we always love to do. But then sometimes it's like, all right, you know, when I do these solo episodes, I like to challenge ourselves to think in a way, you know, I, 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 I'm going to butcher this quote, but she said something about how like, you know, the like laws of actualization, like, like wishing for something and, and working towards it. It's like, um, it's like prayer is basically all the electrical wiring around your house and we're a lamp that's not plugged in. So if you can plug yourself into the network of self-actualizing and, and whatever that may be, maybe you believe in God, maybe you, maybe you believe in uh, nothing or you believe that God's within all of us or we're a collective conscience, whatever it is. If you can find the spirituality to know that you've got sort of um, God within you. And I say this because in the book, she talks about how it sounds so like such a humble brag to be like, I'm God's gift to this, to this world. But we're all a God's gift to this world. If you think that whatever created us is, is a piece of all of us, we have within us the same thing that Leonardo da Vinci had, the same thing that Claude Monet had, and we've all got this ability to create. We just have to access that side of us. And so many of us came from a world where like my stepdad told me when I was 10, I wasn't going to be a pro baseball player. That's like... If, if someone told me that their stepdad told them they wouldn't be a pro baseball player at the age of 10, I'd want to hug them and be like, man, because you know what? On the practical side of things, he was right. But maybe I would have gone in a different direction where who, who knows the limitations that are set on us from our parents and from a world that kind of tells us, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you're an influencer. Oh, you're, you went on The Bachelor and now you sell detox tea. It's, it's very shaming that we judge other people for how they receive their income. And I think by shaming other people, we're putting a low energy on money and it's hard 
You know, you don't see really rich people shaming others for how they make their money. Maybe some do, but I think for the most part, once you can tap into um, uh, abundance, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have buyer's remorse on like what it took to get there. As long as you're not hurting other people in the process, you know, like maybe Amazon needs to look into paying their employees more and cutting down on their, you know, trillions in profits because, you know, they're putting uh, mom and pop shops out of business left and right. I don't know. All right. So uh, let me get out of that. And then, okay. So next I wanted to show you, I told you about the thousand true fans and I'm not saying this in some sort of way where I'm trying to pitch you guys. Look, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything here. I just think we have to think um, in a way of what's doable. Uh, it took me a long time to get into stand-up comedy because before I had ever gone to an open mic or a like amateur stand-up show, you just assume everyone was Chris Rock on stage. And then all of a sudden you, you go to a kind of an amateur show and you go, Oh, I'm not Chris Rock, but I can be funny like that. I can do something like that. And it opens the door to opportunity. And when you breathe life into a new way of thinking, everything becomes, how can I find the funny in a normal situation? Or when you open the door to, you know, if you're an architect, everything becomes angles and you start like getting inspired by this world you're breathing life into. So the goal is to bring life into what it is we do. By doing that, we do what we love and it's hard to know exactly what you love, but what makes you feel good? You might, you know, it might be something as simple as liking to garden and building solar panels. Well, I think you can convert, you know, you can, all right, well, you like to garden and you like to build solar panels. Maybe you make a solar powered pergola, whatever the hell it's called. Pergola, pergola, prerogative. That's my pergola. Um, I don't know what it is, folks, but the idea is, is like you find it in here. You start to listen to the inner child say, this is what I like to do. This is what brought me joy. How can I do share that with the world because I will be compensated for dually by sharing something positive. The, sh- the danger I heard, uh, uh, Elon Musk talk about this, the danger of pursuing things because other people have made money off of it. That's not good. You should never pursue something because others made money off of it, unless it's something you already love, you know? So we need to look at what our passions are, what we love. I know some people that listen to the podcast, um, some people are stay-at-home moms with a good idea, and maybe they, you know, you know, whatever it is, guys, we live in a world where capitalism in its general sense sort of has failed us because, you know, capitalism is really built on, and again, all you scholars can leave a comment, let me know how I'm wrong, but it's built on maximizing your profit, maximizing your return for your shareholders, you know, redoing the iPhone every year, redoing all these things. You know, my stupid iPhone's three years old and it's literally shutting down for no reason because I updated the software and it told me, buy a new phone, now you're going to work slower. And what do they tell us? Oh, it's just to preserve the battery. Come on. They're killing us, folks. They're killing us. You know, in Ireland, they can't even in Subway, they can't refer to the buns as bread because in Ireland, they decided this literally doesn't have enough bread ingredients into it because Subway probably decided they were going to just like make more money by cutting out something and adding in something cheaper. It's what happened in the sugar industry when Coca-Cola went to a corn, uh, corn syrup because it was cheaper. All these things, guys. And it was only cheaper because the government made a subsidy on it. So next thing you know, the government's helping us pump more sugar into our kids. Um, it's a lot to untangle, but just know it's probably wise to understand that other people got jobs, corporations aren't going to, you know, you're replaceable. So find something you can do in your life that's irreplaceable. Find something that's you, you're the only one, and that's it. And carve your identity into being authentic and people will show up. I, I can speak to that. People have showed up. So I appreciate you guys showing up. I'm going to air for you right now 
a conversation I had. It's going to be a little choppy. I just I just looked at it and noticed I messed up the frame rate. So the vi- the video is a little choppy, but the audio is good. So just have a listen. This is my conversation with my friend Meredith, who has a very successful OnlyFans account. She's been on the podcast in the past a couple times. We've had really good conversations. So um, I wanted to talk to her about what it's like kind of taking matters into her own hands and um, starting an OnlyFans account. So enjoy this chat with Meredith. Today, we're here with my good friend, Meredith Jacqueline. How are you today, Meredith? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for joining my show. I don't really do Zoom much, and I just immediately thought of getting you on the podcast to talk about uh, OnlyFans, but also I wanted to I wanted to let people know how we met, uh, stand-up comedy, and yeah. I mean, you've been on the podcast now probably three or four times. You're, you're approaching like a gold star level. <laughs> right, right. Like... Um you know, like the, the people who host SNL like five times or whatever. Exactly. You're going to get a nice Letterman jacket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I haven't seen you since the pandemic. I know yeah. you've, I know you kind of jumped into the OnlyFans world. Tell me, tell me what it's been like kind of creating your own content uh, during this time. Well, I've been doing OnlyFans since, I mean, for probably like a year before the pandemic started. And I was, you know, doing content here and there in sort of more of a, secret way. I had like a premium Snapchat. And so it wasn't, you know, a completely new endeavor, but when, you know, shit hit the fan, you know, I was, I was making my living from OnlyFans already, but I mean, April, it was just like through the roof because everybody was at home and bored. They just got their stimulus money. (laughs) Right. Well, and I, so I dropped, I put my um, subscription on sale for a little while and it just like, I mean, blew up. Um, and it's, it's kind of been, you know, I, I feel a little guilty for being like the success guilt during pandemic when so many people are struggling, but it's been like really amazing for me. And it's honestly kept me sane. It's kept me busy. Well, you know, I've, um, I'll pull it up right here. I've been reading this book over and over the law of divine, uh, compensation by a Marianne Williamson. And it's like, it's whatever people want to give you for money. It's not taking away from other people. There's this abundance in the world that exists like on the spiritual level. And then it's kind of translated into money. So, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Someone might have an addiction and they need to feed their family, but instead they're throwing, you know, a subscription at you. But for the most part, it's like, speaking, no one's choosing between feeding their children and the, you know, 1599 a month. I've, I've had that where I've got like the, I've got the $50 a level month on my Patreon. And I'm like, I'm like embarrassed when people buy it because I'm like, guys, I just feel guilt. You know what I mean? It's like, but that's all in my head. They might be trust fund rich. Like what? Right, right, like. So you had a year. So you had a year on OnlyFans before it kind of blew up. And what has the experience been like uh, doing it? I mean, and I, and I hate to ask about how, like, is there like, um, the, the whole kind of like thesis behind this episode is kind of how we have to deal with our own shame with our, the way we, you know, are shamed by our parents and society. Has it been, and you know, you're a free and open person, you know, from Texas. Has it, has there been any sort of like dealing with the outside world that you do this? Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I am so, so, so lucky to have an immediate family that is very much kind of like, Hey, as long as you're happy and, um, do not doing anything you don't want to do. And you're, you know, taking care of your bills and stuff like whatever. So that's nice that I don't have to like, 
have that uncomfortable conversation with my mom or anything. But my extended family, I, a lot of them don't really talk to me much anymore because it's, it's frowned upon or whatever. Um, okay. That, to <laughs> me, it's kind of like, all right, fine. If you're going to be that much of an asshole, then I don't yeah. need you in my life. It's, that's so negative and toxic. I wouldn't want someone in my life anyway, who was looking down on me for doing, I'm not doing anything wrong. Like I'm not hurting anyone. And that's something our country has had a hard time overcoming throughout the years, this Puritan culture. And yeah. the, and the thing, so, so I've been talking about how we kind of naturally shame and make fun of bachelor contestants for becoming influencers, but I'm kind of looking more into what they call late stage capitalism. You know, Amazon's worth trillions, Walmart, all these big companies, and then their employees are living off of unemployment because they don't even make a, enough living. So the, the idea of like profit before everything has destroyed all of us in different ways and has forced us to kind of try to make our money on our own. And one of my favorite quotes is the, uh, the quote, uh, don't rent out your time. And so f the idea that you can do an OnlyFans, and I brought it up here, you have something like 67,000 hearts, 156 videos. I mean, they don't show the numbers on it, but I'm, I'm always addicted to seeing people's Patreons to be like, what are they making per month? But it looks like it's been something that whether you make one photo or one video, the the market is the whole world for the, for the most part. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unlimited um, market. And I had the it, it kind of different experience than like a girl just starting out trying to do it. And that I already had a social media following. I already had, you know, a decent base on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. And I have other friends with large followings and stuff. But, um, you know, we're just kind of in a in a world where it's, like a get in where you fit in, like you kind of got to do what you got to do thing. And I, we're all, when, no matter what job you do, if you work in an office, if you work in a restaurant anywhere, you are using your assets, your skills to earn a living. Well, my set, my assets and my skills are the way that I look and marketing. Large so, assets. You're saying you've got a large got some <laughs> check her out folks there'll be some you'll get a couple more extra hearts out there absolutely yeah i mean it's like it's like you know there it's all economics people have decided oh this is actually i can make some good money i mean it's like for me and my youtube i started making some money on it so i'm like well let's lean into that i have a youtube yeah. video i made 12 uh, uh eight years ago uh, nine years ago i made it in 2012 and it just started to make money for some whatever reason it's just living online and it's making money and it's like oh that was equity i i put into you know my my comedy eight years ago and it, it, it wasn't exactly right away, but it's like you were, you're investing in yourself. And, you know, when it comes to sexual things, I think people just take this um, purist approach. Some people, we're, we're moving far in society with what we think about it. I mean, I think five years ago, this, you know, OnlyFans, maybe it did exist, but it, it wasn't nearly as like the cultural push today to be like, your body, do what you want with it. Yeah, no, it would have been very, uh, very, very different world five years ago. And, um, and even, you know, a few years ago when I started doing like a premium Snapchat, I was still kind of like nervous about telling people and didn't really want to be like upfront about it and stuff. Was um, that the first venture into the, you know, the money exchange for either nudity or implied? No, uh, the, well, the first beginning was I on like Instagram and Snapchat and stuff. I would post on my story, a censored photo and say, if you want the uncensored one, PayPal me $25 or something like that. 
Um, and then I, I realized, oh, okay, I can do this on a consistent basis and people will pay. Now the market is a lot more saturated. So I'm not really getting away with charging $25 for one picture of my boobs, but I'm getting, you know, infinitely more people to spend money. So it kind of, you know, even without in, and then with the only fans, you don't have to worry about the, uh, Venmo requests or sending this right. or that, but that so is many- interesting. That is such a, like, that's such like a capitalist, you know, just there was a demand. People were willing to throw money and you were cool with it. And then that's what started off. And then it explodes with, with the, the use of like apps like OnlyFans and premium Snapchat yeah. and all that. And now what do you remember the moment when you were like pressing the button on the first upload did and has the content, have you been able, have you felt more confident doing r- more risky, risque things on it with the support yeah. of the community? Definitely. Um, when I started my OnlyFans, I was just doing like topless, um, you know, some full nude. I was like a little more timid about what I would show. And then as I gained more subscribers and people were willing to tip to see extra and stuff, I just became a lot more comfortable really kind of going hardcore on it. And, um, you know, I, the, my subscribers on OnlyFans, are like the nice people too. <laughs> I, um, I, if I tweet something about having a bad day or whatever, I will have like 10 DMs from my subscribers just like, you know, wishing that I would have a better day or sending me a picture of their dog or like being just genuinely kind. Um, now I've had you on the podcast. This r- reminded me, I think you had a, a fan of yours. You ended up dating briefly who like met you through Twitter, like a slide into the DMs, right? Do you remember that? Instagram, yeah. Okay, so uh, is that an option? Not like, Sorry? No, he's not like a, um, you know, he never like bought content for me or anything. It was completely a separation of church and state there. <laughs> Very important. Very important to separate that church and state. <laughs> I don't know which I, one's the church and which one's the state, but yeah, that's up for you. I think... I think I'm the church and my OnlyFans is the state. You should have like a theme this week for the inauguration, like raiding my Capitol building or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, what else did I want to ask you about this? Because, you know, I mean, it's, it, it there is going to be a shift in society about just being okay with uh, people doing what they want, but that th- there's kind of, you have a lot, you have a lot of nice tattoos, uh, you know, and it's kind of the same thing where they say it's like tattoos and only fans. Well, you're going to regret this when you're older. How do you, how do you sort of, um, factor in the things don't really die off the internet? Um, I don't really have much of a problem with that. I don't know. It doesn't, that doesn't bother me. Um, I think that we as a society are way, way too puritanical about our views on sex and, and female sexuality and, um, women taking ownership over their own bodies. I mean, since the beginning of advertising, women's bodies have been sexualized by every industry that exists. So what is the problem with us doing it to ourselves to earn a living and pay our bills? I mean, we're just doing the same thing that everybody else what, is doing. What you're doing is taking away the profit off of uh, b- yeah. the, the big corporations. I mean, I was thinking about this with friends that I know who have done Playboy and other magazines, and you're probably crushing them. You know, it's like yeah. by, by having the content on your own, being in charge of it. And it's also important, too. And, you know, you, t- you see these photo shoots people do that photographers taking photos while they're changing into their next outfit or whatever. Like you don't get rights. You know, they have the power. You know, it's always been like the model doesn't have the power, even in porn. You know, the only people that make money in porn are the ones that produce it. 
you know, everything else. So for you to own your own content and everything and be able to control whatever creative thing you want to do must be very, you know, it must, it must make it a lot more fun to create because it's just like no boss, you know. And it's, and it's so much safer. I mean, like I do the vast majority of my content in my apartment by myself. Like I'm controlling 100% the content that is created, that is put out. I'm not doing anything I don't want to do. Um, on, you know, the few times I've made a video with a partner, it's been someone I was dating who was comfortable with it. So it's not, you know, I'm not... Do, do they get a cut or is it just the uh, the generosity? I mean, they're usually just happy to be there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's economics, baby. We, we're not good at negotiating. We're like, oh, you want me here? Be, yeah, if, Ta- if Tosh was ever like, yeah, I'm going to blow you. For, I'll be like, yeah, please do. I'll take it. She's like, do you want a percentage? Right? Like, no. You're getting a full job out of it. Like, yeah, what do just... you <laughs> uh, My last question was, um, I completely forgot. What was I going to say? Um, do you... Do you uh, yeah, I don't. I don't even know where I was going to go with that. I think I got everything I wanted from you. Um, that sounded so. <laughs> I got everything I needed. Um, just like your OnlyFans. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, you know that was the question I had. Sorry. Um, I I'm so I I so overthink things with like people online. You get mad at me for either side. Like some people are happy I'm having a casual conversation. Some people think I'm. I don't know. Uh, I need to not worry. You you kind of mentioned. Um, the, the ability to like do what you want with this all. And I think about authenticity when, when we do things that are authentic, when we're kind of like not worried about what someone else thinks, we really do like kick it up another gear energy level, which is kind of sounds very, you know, spiritual, but like there's, so, there's something rewarding about just being your authentic self, making content you want to make. And someday that you might spin that into a different direction and you might build fans that'll be with you for different things. And it's just kind of refreshing to see people that aren't sort of like, owned by a sitcom. Like if you were on a TV show, you're not doing this. You can't even, you can't even do like Miss Universe without getting shamed for being in a topless scene five years ago or something absurd like that. It's just wild. The double standards that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think that's something that my subscribers also see in my content is that it's genuine and real and I'm having a good time doing it. And so I think that makes it even more enjoyable for them. Um, to know that it is very, very authentic. Um, do you have an issue with guys um, when you start to date them? Like, do you tell them this is what you do? Uh, yeah, yeah. Very honest and upfront because, you know, I, I 100% understand if a guy would maybe be uncomfortable dating someone who does what I do. That's very normal. That's not weird. It just kind of depends on why he's uncomfortable about it. Um, but that's okay. Like, I don't want to waste anyone's time. And the kind of guy who would not be comfortable with dating someone who does what I do is probably not the kind of person I'm really interested in dating anyway. Um, and I also want to know that whoever I'm dating, I'm going out with, we're on the same page about how we feel about sex work in general, because I'm very, very much pro sex work of all kinds of sex work, full service to, you know, taking topless photos. Um, I don't, I don't personally do full service, but I'm supportive of that career choice. And so I want whoever I'm dating to have the same values that I do. That's great. I think that's great to like, let people know if you have an issue with this, see your way out up front. (laughs) You know, some people I've been talking a ton about purity culture and I grew up in new England where we had, we had some like 
sex shaming happening, but not nearly like what can happen in some pockets of the South where, you know, they, 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 they go to these purity balls where they marry their chastity and they, their dad walks them down the aisle. And it's like, oh my gosh, the hormone, you know, issues where you just want to have sex or do whatever you want. And you just have this back, this, this nonstop chatter of how it's evil. Yeah. The guilt. I, even though I grew up in Texas, I grew up in the South and I even, I went to Catholic school, but I don't ever, ever remember learning any sort of like shame about sex. Like it was never, it was never something I should feel bad about. So, um, you know, I just haven't carried that, that with me at all. We had a priest, uh, tell us not to masturbate and, (laughs) I mean, come on, you're going to masturbate. Now I have to masturbate and feel bad about it. Like it's a whole lot. It's a whole lot there. Yeah. They were like, don't touch one guy. One guy said, don't touch. Or if you keep touching yourself, it'll stop growing. I heard this at an early age. That's, that's terrifying to hear that if you, and you're like, but I can't help. Oh, horrible. Now, you know, some grown man with like a small penis is walking around just like, I did this to myself. I asked for it. <laughs> no, Jeremy, you just have a stumpy dick. Um, uh, oh, and what I wanted to ask you, what's so what's your your bachelor con- uh, connection? Because you're over there on the west side where all the bachelor yeah. folks live. Uh, well, actually, so from Bachelorette, this most recent season, Ben is my nutrition coach. He, I actually literally was texting with him right before I got on because I'm taking a class from him, um, starting in a couple of weeks, but, but yeah, he's a coach at my gym. I tell you what, uh-huh. if you want him, if you want to spike your only fans, you get him in one of your videos. <laughs> I'll pay to no, see no. old Benny. He's a strong, he's a good looking guy. He is a really good looking guy, but no, no, no. This is a, a professional relationship. So not, I'm not even going to try. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I got some fans here that are going to follow you on Instagram and follow him. And they're going to be <laughs> shuffling through paperwork to see if there's any connection. But, um, yeah, that's, so did you, was he your nutrition coach before he was on the show? Um, I hired him or like hired, I didn't hire him. I enrolled in like the program that he, like the one-on-one coaching that he does kind of right before it aired. Um, it just kind of, the timing just sort of kind of fell around a sort of same-ish time, but I already, but I knew he was going to be on it. Um, but I mean, I'd known who he was through the gym for, since he's been there for yeah, like a couple he, of years. He was uh, up and running for, I mean, he'll, he'll be involved in the franchise in one way or another. Cause you know, once you get to that top level, yeah, although he is like, I will say he seems I don't know him very, very well. I just know him as, you know, in the scope of our, you know, client coach kind of relationship. But um, he seems like an incredibly down to earth dude who genuinely loves what he does. Um, But who knows? Although I'm going to be really mad if he goes on to be bachelor and then I have to like just figure out how to eat by myself. <laughs> yeah, you can blame your your diet goes away and it's like, well, my nutritionist is a celebrity <laughs> now. Your fault. You did this. <laughs> well, uh, oh, you got a little uh, guest appearance by your yeah. dog back there. Is that your puppy? Oh, nice. Today's my dog's 12th birthday. So we're going to take him to um, Starbucks to get a puppuccino later on today. Yeah, we try, you know. Uh, well, thanks so much. How can people find you? Your your OnlyFans is um, at the Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H. I'll put it in the description. And then um, remind me, Instagram, is it Meredith? Meredith actually is the Instagram. And um, my Twitter is also the Meredith. 
Great. Well, I hope um, I hope uh, one or two people uh, indulge in your OnlyFans. And I love, I'll, I'll, I'll just say your bio. I love it. It's comedian, Texan, thought, uncensored, and up to no good. There it is. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking to me. And I hope to see you soon when the world opens yeah. back up. It's been a long time. I know for sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you later. Thank you guys so much for watching this podcast episode of The Sap. If you've never kind of checked out my content before, all of the episodes, over 400, are available on audio only. You can go to the link in the description if you want to check out the audio only episodes. You know, sometimes you're listening to something or watching something on YouTube while you do the dishes. There's still half an hour conversation left. You got to go pick your kid up at the school. Just click on your your favorite, um, you know, uh, you know, app that you listen to podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, whatever, Apple Podcasting. It's on there and you can go and just pick up the conversation where you left off. For all those people that are watching on YouTube, if you could hit the like button, that would be greatly appreciated. It lets YouTube know you enjoyed this content and it'll show them to more people. If you want bonus content or just want to support me, there's several ways you can do that. I put my Venmo uh, link in the description. So many people on YouTube have been uh, sending me such generous Venmo donations. I appreciate it so much. If you have the means and it's it's something you know to, to preach what Marianne Williams says, the law of divine compensation, if you think I provided you that sort of value... I appreciate it so much. If you're watching on YouTube, you know that I've done a lot of work this last year to sort of try to increase the visual aspects of the podcast and other YouTube videos. I got my green screen behind me. I'm in a hundred square foot area making this. It's very cramped. Go check out my Instagram if you want to see the videos of how cramped it is. But you know, the dog's always sitting beneath me. We're always having a good time. And a big shout out, of course, to my loyal audio only listeners. You know, the last year has been crazy. The audio version of the podcast has probably decreased by 30%. People aren't driving to their jobs. I know as a podcast listener, I listen to only about half the podcast I used to listen to. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of death within the audio format this year. Uh, likewise, the YouTube has grown by 400%, uh, close to 500%. So while I can, you know you know, hate that the podcast is on the audio version is a sinking ship. I do appreciate that more people are finding us through the YouTube channel. And I thank you guys so much for that. I much actually prefer if people watch the podcast than listen, because right now I don't have any sponsorships on the audio only, but I do look forward to the day where the audio only version can become its own revenue stream. If people do like hearing my solo episodes, most of them are on the uh, Patreon only version of the podcast. Uh, I do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bachelor related content on the YouTube, but on the Patreon, I'm really talking current events, um, reading weird dating advice, uh, self-improvement motivation. It's really just a solo kind of let the mind explore. And I do that two to four times a month and there's different tiers you can join based on what you feel comfortable giving. It's, a monthly subscription. You can cancel anytime. So for the people that have been following us, uh, following me on um, the Patreon, I appreciate you guys so much for your loyalty, for sticking with me. And just know, uh, you know, you're, you haven't been forgotten. And um, the, the amount of gratitude I have for those that have made an otherwise very tough year financially bearable. Uh, what the government has forgotten about us, uh, 
and you guys haven't. So I appreciate everyone who stuck around for that and all, all the nice comments on YouTube. Um, thank you so much for watching this. If you want to check out my live streams, I'll be on YouTube uh, Monday nights at 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's late, but it's right when The Bachelor ends. So I go on there 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Times during Bachelor season and then 4 p.m. on Thursdays Pacific Standard Time if you want to check out any of those live stream chats. Anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening or watching this podcast. I appreciate y'all so much and I will see you next time. Bye everybody.